Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you that, uh, as Ken shared in communion, that in light of all that's going on in our world, from fires to politics to everything else, that uh, we place our faith in God and trust in Him, and, and that's where we have our security. So, the story of a young boy and the dedication of his baby brother at church, and uh, uh, little Johnny saw his little baby brother dedicated at church to the Lord, and uh, after the service, uh, the family got in the car, and they're driving home, and little Johnny was just sobbing and crying all the way home after this, this event, and uh, his parents were a little kind of confused because this has been such a great celebration, but Johnny was just crying and crying and crying. So his father asked him three times, like, Johnny, what, what is wrong? What, what are, you, are you so upset? What are you crying for? And little Johnny wouldn't reply and wouldn't reply. And so dad asked him again the fourth time. He's like, Johnny, what, what is wrong? What is, why are you crying so bad after church? And finally, Johnny looked up at his dad and said, Dad, the pastor said he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home, but I want to stay with you guys. <laughs> But I'm bummed. <laughs> hey, the joke's getting better. Your prayers are being answered. So, although this joke is funny, at least it was to me, it, it kind of, the attitude of what the little Johnny had kind of exemplifies what's going on in our modern culture that uh, people don't want to be Christian. They don't want to be part of a church group and everything. What they want is they don't want to be part of a cause. They want the cause to come to them and be part of their world instead of being part of that world. And we're finishing up this morning on a series, uh, part four of uh, the issues facing the Western church, that being us in America, uh, from an article that was written four years ago or two years ago by the Gospel Coalition. And it's important that we address these issues to know the things that face the church that challenge us, um, <coughs> one, so that we can address those outside the church and address them in love and correct them. And two, that we don't get caught up personally in that same mindset that is so prevalent in our culture because, you know, we think about the fact that, you know, Jesus spoke about the issue of take the narrow road that leads to heaven and, and to salvation, not the wide road that's easy to, to, to follow. I mean, it's so easy to get in that group setting and just go with the flow and go with the crowd, right? And mentally, it's no different with the mindset and the worldview we can get in that same cultural aspect of just getting in that wide road with everybody and going down the merry trail thinking we're all good. But Christ calls us to something different because he calls us on that narrow path, that thin path, that, that path that we have to pay attention and be alert upon. So we want to understand these issues that face us, again, one, to direct and to answer those in love about the truth of that, and two, that we don't get caught up in them ourselves, and we protect the church and the integrity of the Bible and the gospel that God has given us. So the first issue we looked at four weeks ago was that people are increasingly isolated, fragmented, and polarized. And I think we've seen that even more so with the COVID issue going on, that people are now working out of their homes, they're not social interacting, and there's this huge polarization going on. <coughs> The well, second issue uh, was that an increasing number of people see Christian morality as not only old-fashioned, but also extreme or dangerous, that we tackled that issue, that the Bible's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago, unless Ken shared in communion that it addresses, even though it was written some 2,000 years ago, it still addresses the same concerns that we have today. It's timeless. It's timeless. 
The third issue that we looked at last week was this. We have a pragmatic view of religion in our society that regulates our faith to the private sphere of personal values. It's kind of like this personal interpretation of God's word and of Christianity that, well, this is what Christianity really is to me. And that's bunk in the church because the Bible states what Christianity is, period. It's not up to personal interpretation and it changes. The fourth issue is probably the biggest one that we look at today. And as we tackle this today, here's the issue that the author wrote in his article. He says, we live in a society that is enthralled by expressive individualism. We live in a society that's enthralled by expressive individualism. A gentleman by the name of Yuval Lenin in his book, The Fractured Republic, describes expressive individualism in this way. He says, it is a desire to pursue one's own path and a yearning for fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one's own identity. It is a drive both to be more like whatever you already are and also to live in a society by fully asserting who you are. Well, we see that all over, don't we? With the riots and all that, that this is who we are and we demand things our way. He goes on to write that the capacity of the individuals to define the terms of their own existence by defining their own personal identities is increasingly equated with liberty and with the meaning of some of our basic rights and is given a place of pride in self-understanding. Kind of reinterpreted as like, it's all about me. I need to find myself and understand who I am and then I need to express myself and furthermore, in that expression of myself, you not only need to accept me, you need to join me and believe the way that I do. Do we see that in our society? I mean, it's increasingly growing and growing. The author of the article goes on to write this. He says, expressive individualism poses a challenge for the church because God's word challenges the me with an opposing word, which is us. And then he sets us under God. The human tendency is to look inward when God's word says to look upward. We resist the upward look because it implies that someone or something is above us and that someone might have authority over us. And formed by the Western assumptions about freedom and happiness, we chafe against claims of moral authority over us or institutions that ask something from us. We resist anything that might stifle our self-defined freedom. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, as is written in the Western Westminster Catechism. But expressive individualism turns that around and says, the chief end of religion is to glorify man so that he can enjoy himself forever. Expressive individualism, we see this just predominantly coming out in our society. Again, we hear the words tolerance and uh, we see advertisements that are focusing on everything for you and about you and that's what everything is for, right? And we see mass numbers of people wanting to change the church to make the church believe what they want, not what the church has defined for hundreds and hundreds of years. This expressive meism says that the world needs to come to me. You need to understand 
me, my problems, my way of seeing things, my way of doing things. Uh, yesterday when we had uh, uh, we had the winds up and Austin and Emily were up and then Christy's dad came up to help us out and this really kind of hit me because there's three men, three generations of men, her dad, myself, and my son, and we're all out trying to pull these trees back up. The crazy thing was that when you have three men there arguing over how to best put this tree up, you have three distinctive different ways of doing it. And so we kind of bickered back and forth on the best way to do it. And it was just kind of funny to see with this in mind that here we are, three guys, and we're all talking about the way that we should do it. But you've seen this, right? You get a bunch of guys together like, well, we should do it this way. No, 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 we do it this way. Oh, we do it this way. Christy and I see it in marriage all the time, right? It's like we have come to know that after 30 plus years of marriage that if I think the color red is phenomenal, she'll like blue. If she wants to go do this, guess what? I want to go do this. And we find ourselves in that chaos of do I stand my ground on what I want and impose that, or do I succumb and submit to the other person in service? That's what our world is dealing with us with today in our culture, that it's about me. I'm what's important. You Again, you need to understand me and accept me the way that I am. Again, we see children divorcing their parents because they didn't do a good enough job. That little Bobby is deciding he's really a girl at age six, and everyone says, well, that has to be okay. That we see all this crazy stuff going on, and when it comes up against the Bible and the Word of God and the church and our life as Christians, there's a clash, isn't there? Because the Word of God, as we've talked about, is the same yesterday, where else? Today and forever just as God is, and it stands firm and says, no, it is not about how you want things, but it's about how God wants things. We see this in the life of the Apostle Peter quite a bit, right? Peter was that person that always kind of spoke before he thought about what he was saying. And he would sit there and almost argue with Jesus numerous times in the New Testament, where Jesus says, we're gonna go do this, and Peter's like, no, 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 Lord, no, no, we're gonna do this. Peter proclaims, I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus is like, dude, you're going to deny me three times. That even in that core circle, we see this, this, this issue of individualism, meism, fighting to be heard and fighting to be right. And we have that issue today. So first thing we want to talk about is the problem of meism. Meism, discovering myself, uh, finding my path, finding my purpose in life, focusing only on me is an ever-growing mindset in our culture. And it does come in direct conflict with the Bible and the church and Christianity. It's popular, it's accepted more and more, but it's not biblical. We've all heard these words over the years, but they're now gaining a maturity. I did a little research and I found out that the first actual statement of meism was found in a telegraph in the early 1970s. And since then, it's had some 50 years to grow up and mature. The dictionary defines meism in two ways. First, a personal religion or creed, frequently incorporating beliefs or practices from various other sources, or B, self-interest, egocentrism, about me. So basically the viewpoint of the lifestyle in this culture is to go to the world's buffet of all the religions, 
Sprinkle in a little personal experience and a little emotion, a little feeling, and pick and choose those things which you want to be true and not true. Basically, it's like making up your own personal belief system and then again telling others, you need to accept me for who I am and what I believe. Again, it's not a new concept. We know that in other cultures, up until the time of Christianity, most cultures were polytheistic. In other words, multiple gods. You can pick and choose which god, which temple you wanted to go to. But when Christianity came on the scene, what was so different about it was it was monotheistic. One god. Yes, god in three persons, but one singular god. It was all about serving God, not having all these little idols around. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Acts 17, if you want to read there with me in a, in a second, as he addresses the Athenians. You see, the Greeks of the time had 14 main gods and numerous other gods. The Romans had 12 major gods and then various other ones. The Egyptians in that same area had over 1,500 gods by name, and that doesn't include all the other cultures of the time. There was a plethora of gods and goddesses and beliefs to choose from. And Paul comes in here to, into Athens, and he walks down this corridor, and there's all these statues to the different gods. And at the very end, there's a statue of one god, and it's titled the Unknown God. And the Athenians put this up basically to say, hey, we know there's all these gods out there, but just in case we missed one, we don't want to offend him or her, so we're going to put up a statue for that god and just call it the unknown god, just in case we missed it, so we don't upset it. And when it comes on the scene, we can just say, hey, we didn't know your name, but here's your statue, it's all covered. Paul speaks to them, and he uses this aspect of the unknown god to introduce the God of the Bible to them, to introduce Jesus to them. And we read this in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 31. It says, As Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all the things in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. Being the children of God, we ought not to think of the divine nature like gold or silver or stone, as an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should what? Repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through, through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by the raising of him from the dead. Stop there. 
Having this buffet of beliefs is not a new thing. It's been around as long as the Bible has. And yet in an ever-increasing cult or ever-increasing cultural mentality, people are trying to take this meism and invade the church. To step into the church and saying, hey, we know you believe this, and this is supposedly your boundaries and your beliefs, but you need to take me for who I am. Even though I'm different, even though I oppose you and what you believe, you need to hire me. You need to be, let me be part of your belief system in your congregation. Today, we not only have different religions in the world, but we have different denominations within Christianity itself. And within Christianity itself and those different denominations, in those denominations, we have different synods. And within those synods, we have some that are very conservative, some that are middle of the road, some that are liberal, and some that are ultra-liberal. We have the cultural pressure of people in churches trying to come in and say, this is how you need to have church. This is how you need to interpret the Bible in modern times. This is how you need to live as Christians. And this is what you need to believe. Meism promotes the trinity of me, myself, and I, right? With all these new churches that are being created around meism and trying to appeal to people's senses and, and tailoring the service to what people want to hear and what they don't want to hear and how they want the music and tailoring everything to them, what we are doing in the church is actually creating admirers, not followers of Christ. Because when we tailor everything in the church to the secular audience that we're trying to minister to, we don't lay down the truth of God's word as it states. That yes, to come into God's kingdom, there is only one way to salvation. There is only one God. And God loves you the way you are, but he also loves you too much to leave you that way and wants you to change. We cannot afford to create fall or create admirers. We need to have followers of Christ. Wasn't it Christ himself when he called the disciples and he called us? What did he call us to do? He said, follow me. Jesus wants followers. And we look back in those biblical times that when someone followed a rabbi or, or someone like that, they would go where they went. They would do what they did. They put their entire life on hold and they would follow that rabbi and they would mimic him in everything they did. What they wanted to do didn't matter. Where they wanted to go didn't matter. They followed the teacher. Christ said, if you want to be mine, you must follow me. Follow me. And that means that Jesus didn't look at the apostles and say, hey boys, where do you want to go today? Who do you want to heal today? What kind of miracle do you want to have happen today? We don't read that, do we? We don't hear that of Jesus looking to those men and also the, the women that followed him where he's saying, huh, what do we want to do today? He always led them and expected them to follow. And when they balked at that, he did correct them. There were also many others that came to Christ and had their version of his way of teaching in their mind, and he would correct them and say, no, that is not the way. In fact, the religious leaders of the time, he totally made mad because he called them snakes and vipers because they were only concerned about politics and the law, but they didn't understand the meaning of the law. They just wanted the letter of the law. So we see this meism that is definitely challenging the church and trying to find its way in to the church, but it is not part of Christianity. Yet we need to be able to understand this, 
to recognize it and then to address it in love that that is not the way of Christ. And as a Christian, that is not my way either. We love everybody, but there are things that other people do that we cannot be a part of. Some of the simple things that that comes into is all the bickering and the, the uh, complaining that again, as Christians, we're called to encourage, to build up, not to tear down, right? That we need to be the ones that are positive and excited because our God is so great that he can get us through fires and smoke and COVID and earthquakes and windstorms. He can get us through all that. And we need to demonstrate that in the power of God that is within us, that he has kept us safe and kept us going forward. Meism does not line up with Christianity. So, part two, the solution God calls us to have is usism. Usism. It's interesting that we read the dictionary definition of meism, but you know what? If you look in your dictionary or you go online, there is no dictionary definition of usism. I think that's kind of interesting how Satan has worked in the world that he definitely defines meism as a big thing, but he won't even look at the fact of usism. Biblical fact is this, as we mentioned that many, many times, that when you and I come to salvation, who dies? We die to whom? To self. That's what meism is all about. Me, myself, and I. Meism is about me getting things my way, you understanding me, you seeing my point of view. When we come to salvation, we die to ourselves and we live to Jesus Christ. In usism, we come together as a family of believers under Jesus Christ, under the authority and direction of another. And those are the very things that meism fights. Meism doesn't want an authority over them, do they? Meism wants to be the authority. In Christianity and usism, we gather together as a family of God and we come under Jesus Christ and his authority over us. That meism, self-belief, belief, personal opinion, or anything like this has no attitude and no place in Christianity, period. Biblical fact is the Bible talks about being adopted into the family of God as full heirs. We are commanded to be in regular fellowship with one another. We are called sons and daughters of God, and our focus is not about what we get when we come to church, about hearing about me and my life. Our focus is on what? serving one another, encouraging one another, being there for one another. Christianity gives us a completely different view of the world and of our purpose in life. It's not about us. It's about serving God by being in that regular fellowship and by serving others. The focus is family and unity. The attention is taken off of the person and focused on the adoration of Jesus Christ himself. So what do families do? Well, families, good solid families, not the dysfunctional type of families, they go through decades of life together, they go through hardships together, they go through mountaintop experiences together, positives and negatives, but through that, they work together in harmony to stay together and to make the best of things. Their goal is of coming out of this productive and together no matter what. They maintain and they rebuild relationships in love and integrity, and they help each other. I told Christy that uh, 
yesterday when Austin and Emily showed up and her dad that it was really impacting to me that in the busyness of all their lives, they took time out to come and help us clean up where they didn't have to. And that's kind of what family does. We stick together and we bind together. And in the family of the church, we do that same thing. It's interesting that our world even recognizes this in the fact of meism. U.S. News and the World Report had this to say about family. I quote, it says, The evidence is convicting that the better our relationships are at home, in the family, the more effective we are at our careers. Interesting correlation, isn't it? The more the better our relationships are at home, the more effective we are in our careers. If we're having difficulty with a loved one, that difficulty will be translated into reduced performance on the job. In studying the millionaires in America, a picture of the typical millionaire is an individual who has worked eight to 10 hours a day for 30 years and is still married to his high school or her high school or college sweetheart. A New York study of executive, from an executive search firm in a study of 1,365 corporate vice presidents discovered that 87% were still married to their one and only spouse and that 92% were raised in a two-parent family. The evidence is overwhelming that family is the strength and foundation of society. Strengthen your family ties and you'll enhance your opportunity to succeed. And that's only looking from a business point of view. That if the family is strong, you'll do better in business because Ken doesn't do this because when he argues with himself, he has a lousy day at work. But when he's happy with himself, he has a great day at work, right? But I know when Christy and I, when we are having one of our marital discussion times, work is hard because my mind is distracted. I'm thinking about our relationship. I'm not focused on work. Things aren't going well. But when our relationship is good, it seems that at work, I can kind of overcome anything. We take that aspect and we apply it to the church with usism and what God has called us to do, that we are a family under God. We are bound together to serve one another, to work through things with each other, and to stay focused on God and do that by serving one another. It's not about me, my needs, my opinions, my attention, my likes and dislikes. The focus is on serving Jesus by serving each other in agape love. In fact, church should change us. We should not change church, right? The Bible should change us. We should not change the Bible. Christianity should change who? Us. We should not change it. The Bible calls that refining, that we are constantly sloughing off that old self, that old self that tries to rise up after it's been um, buried and dead to come back. We constantly are pushing that old self down and keeping our eyes focused and fixed on Jesus the Christ. That means we get rid of our attitudes of, you come to me and do what I want, you do things my way, or I'm taking my stuff and my money and going home and leaving. We see that in church all the time, don't we? In fact, that's how Austin changed careers was he was working at that church up north and one of the families had kind of run the church financially with their money and the new pastor told him, no, that's not God's way and we're not doing that. So in good Christian maturity, what did they do? They took their money and they left because they wanted the church to conform to them based on their financial contribution 
they were not willing to conform to what God was doing in the church. And that's the issue that is prevalent in today's society. Usism means giving up our position and being humble. It's a point of obedience of having an authority over us that is greater than us. It's not about liking each other. It's not about putting up with each other. It's about learning to grow together in love. And the best example I can think of is, we remember in Bible times, often marriages were arranged, right? There are stories of people falling in love and, and, and going after that other individual. We read of them of David's writing and uh, other stories in the Bible, but oftentimes marriages were arranged between families for multiple purposes. So what do you do with a young man and a young woman who may or may not know each other, but now they're getting married? You spend the rest of your life understanding that person and learning how to be in love. It's a choice, right? It's not a feeling. It's a choice to choose to be in love and to build up that relationship and not tear it down. And that's what God calls us to do in the Christian church, is to realize specifically that we are all different and have different experiences and backgrounds and out, out views and, and, and takes on life, but we serve one God in one church unified by one spirit and our role is to learn to adjust to each other to build one another up and to learn to love each other in that agape love that's the call of God it's not about again you understanding me and doing things my way it's about me understanding you and encouraging and loving and building you up we read this in Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 to 28 speaking of Christians we read, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is God in essence speaking to us the word of God. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. To be worthy of that gospel means that we need to raise up to that standard, right? Not pull it down to our level. To be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whenever I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you and that you were standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's usism. It's about us coming together, loving each other, and loving God and serving God even more. We are to conduct ourselves appropriately, which means acting maturely, not taking our stuff and leaving because something was said or something was done the way we don't like it, uh, not trying to control things by uh, our, our physical stature, our, our finances, or anything else, but by contributing and serving and banding together, taking time out of what we want to serve God with others. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13 goes on to state this, For even as the body is one, it yet has many members. And we all are members of, of the body, Though there are many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. And then just a few verses down in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20-24, we read this. But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker 
are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Usism is about the fellowship, the family. It's about honoring God again by serving and loving one another, of putting them above us and us being humble and serving God by serving them. Now, for many, this sacrifice of serving God in this way seems difficult, right? To put yourself on hold, almost like you're unimportant and the other people are more important, to not get things your way, to not be heard, that seems difficult, doesn't it? Well, here's the thing we need to remember as Christians, that God will not call us to do anything that he is not willing to do himself. Think of the very life of Jesus Christ himself. He came to a people in sin and rebellion, of already rejecting God. He dwelt among them in the form of a, came into us in the form of a baby, not a great ruler or someone with great riches and, and excessive power. We don't see him sending lightning bolts through his fingers to zap his enemies. We don't see him doing the things that our mind would have done, right? We see him coming and he serves by healing, by going to the unlovely, by being with the brokenhearted, by walking with lepers. We see him going to places of ill repute to bring the gospel. We see him confronting religion with its legalism and, and its self-political gain. We see Jesus living among a people that for the 33 years of his life, for the most part, rejected him every single day, especially the last couple of years. And yet Jesus does not reach out and strike them. Jesus does not blast them. He does not open up the earth like in the Old Testament and have them swallowed up because they come against him. In fact, what Jesus does is he takes their abuse to the point of death. Jesus loved the unlovely. He served the brokenhearted. He healed the wounded. And he went to them to where they were at. He gathered a core group of men and women around them. And again, he said, follow me. And he asked them to do the very difficult same things that he did. For the Jews, for Peter, it was an extremely big issue because he did not want to be with the Gentiles, the pagans. But Jesus says, no, Peter, that is not the way. You need to accept them as you accepted you, for they are still my creation, and I came to save them as I have saved you. Jesus dealt with a world that rejected him all of his life to the point of death, and yet he served them, he loved them, he spoke the truth, he stood his ground, but he always offered for them to follow him and to submit and surrender to God as he did. He came to do the will of his father, not his own will. And then at the very end, when they finally crucified him he, and thought they had beaten him as he hung on the cross and in pain with his chest collapsing in, what does he, do? what does he say with some of his last breaths? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing even at the very end, in extreme pain and suffering and exhaustion and dehydration, he looks over the crowd and he asks his Father in heaven 
to forgive them because in their ignorance, they had no clue what they were doing. You see, that's what sin does, is it blinds us and makes us ignorant. It blinds us from the truth where we can't see the Savior who stands right in front of us. It blinds us from that. So we have this issue of meism, trying to invade our churches, to reinterpret Christianity, to rewrite the Bible. And as Christians, I believe we have to stand back on usism under God and serving Him. To realize and to recognize when that meism, when we walk into the church doors, when we sit down in the church service, when we hear the message, of when that attitude, that cultural push of meism is coming upon us, that we can cry out and say, God, take it away. Remove the meism from me. Help me to die to myself again today and to live to you. Yes, there is a cultural battle coming on. But again, as Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, as we know the, the fulfillment and the promise of his word and the future and the hope that he has for us, that God always keeps a remnant, we must stay strong as Christians and serve one another and glorify God in that way. To learn to love each other, to understand each other's differences, and to accept that and to battle the enemy of meism from our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this day for your reminder uh, of one of the many enemies that faces the church that's so easy for us to uh, allow to be a part of our lives. Lord, that old sinful nature often rises up and demands that we be heard, that we be recognized, that uh, somebody does something and cares for us and takes care of us when your word is so contrary, calls us to serve others, to place others first, and even to love our enemies. It calls us to serve you by serving them, to live the same life that you lived, and to follow you. We pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us against the enemy of meism, that you would help us to recognize not only the issue of meism, but how evil and unbiblical it is. And you would help us to recognize that in ourselves when we fall into that trap of believing in in meism and to put that away to once again die to ourself and to live to Christ for our hope is in you our very integrity and presence and all and all is wrapped up in you and Lord it's not about us or what we want or our opinion or needing to be heard it's just simply about serving you that we realize as the West Westminster Catechism says our chief goal in life our purpose our very sense of being is to serve and glorify you and i pray this day lord that our eyes are turned to you and that we would do that very thing that we would glorify you by living in the way that you have called us and not us demanding our way upon you we ask this in the glorious name of jesus christ